All right, if you have your Bibles, you want to get them open, uh, I've got the notes there on the table for you. Once again, I used the uh, version called the Scriptures because it has God's name in the Hebrew there for you. And you're going to see tonight why that becomes very important instead of seeing the word Lord or God or Adonai or, or whatever other term because those are titles. That's not his name. We've been over that before. His name is in your Bible 6,827 times. And it's hidden right in plain sight. <clears throat> and he is very concerned about it. And we're going to look at a passage that was in our reading. It's in the uh, Torah reading, if you will, uh, for this week. Now, you'll notice at the top of your notes, <clears throat> this is a double reading. Uh, you know, we have our leap year every four years uh, on the Hebrew calendar. It's a lunar calendar. <clears throat> and so every now and then they have to add actually a whole month. Okay. So to take up for that and also because of special readings that are done uh, during the, the feast, the holidays, sometimes they'll have to double up the weekly reading so that you can go through the whole five books of the Torah in a 12-month, if you will, period of time. This is one of those times where it's a double reading. <clears throat> so no, I'm not going to preach for two hours tonight. <laughs> it just to ease your mind there. So we are going to have to skim through some things on here. <clears throat> and um, this one is called uh, Vayakel, which is he assembled. or And the other one is Pekudeh. Um, which is the accounting of. So that's the two separate readings, and that's why you have extra verses there. So if you still want to read up on those, uh, feel free to do so. So we're going to start <clears throat> here in Exodus 35, verse 1, which is where we get the title uh, for this particular section of He Assembled. And in verse 1, it says, and once again, this is in the Scriptures version, it's the name of the Bible, it's just called the Scriptures. And so these, the Hebrew names are written <clears throat> uh, phonetically correct in English, but how it would be pronounced in Hebrew. So instead of Moses, it's Moshe. Okay? All right, so verse 1 says, And Moshe assembled all the congregation of the children of Israel and said to them, These are the words which, and there's the uh, word for God's name, uh, it's Yahovah. <clears throat> These are the words which Yahovah has commanded to you. So, <clears throat> one thing that I want you to see here in this very beginning, and this is extremely important. <clears throat> so, this whole section is almost a repeat of what we just read in the last section, where he's giving all of these details on how to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the tent structure that went with them through the wilderness for 40 years. <clears throat> then when they cross over into uh, the promised land, which becomes Israel, the tabernacle, the tent structure, stood in the town of Shiloh, or it's actually Shiloh, uh, for about 450 years before the time of David and then Solomon, and the building of the first temple. <clears throat> so it's this tent structure that they were, they were given all these details uh, to build. And it wants you to see here that he says, 
He tells him and that Moses or Moshe, he assembled all the congregation. So this was something <clears throat> that it took everybody to do it. This was a massive undertaking. As a matter of fact, to build the tabernacle itself took approximately nine months. Uh, we talked about <clears throat> um, some of the things that they were that they used uh, in building um, the the uh, the tabernacle itself, and God is really into symbolism, right? Uh, one of the things was that <clears throat> the half shekel of silver that they were to give um, was part of, they, they melted that down into what's called the sockets that held these posts up that held the curtains up on the outside making the major part of the structure. And then inside that was the tent where you had the holy place and then the most holy place inside that. And so whenever you would walk by, you would see that silver and remember giving that. We're going to see another piece of symbolism in here that's really powerful. <clears throat> but what I want you to remember <clears throat> is that for this to happen, everybody had to get involved. Everybody. This, wasn't a, a, this was not a spectator sport. This was not a spectator issue. This was them becoming a nation in the wilderness and building a place where God would dwell among them and this is right after the golden calf issue. And <clears throat> they had a few thousand people die over that golden calf problem. Remember we talked about that where they took off the earrings, which what they had heard, and that's what they made the calf out of. Uh, <clears throat> it's it, very, very powerful. This is right on the heels of that. And so they're like, you know, did we really blow it? Is God even going to accept us at all? Is this even going to really work? And so, I mean, he really got their attention. And you can just imagine they'd come out of Egypt. They'd seen all these things. They just nearly blew it. God was going to decimate them and start over with Moses, you know, all of that. <clears throat> so this is on the heels of that. And everybody is now involved. This is going to determine them being a nation and the God of all gods dwelling with them and leading them, okay? So this is how this starts off. He tells the whole congregation, the children of Israel, <clears throat> that this is what God's commanded you to do. And then all of a sudden, there's this little blurb in here. It almost seems like it's out of place, but it's not. <clears throat> in verses 2 and 3, it says, Work is to be done for six days, but on the seventh day it shall be, a set, up, it shall be set apart to you, a Sabbath of rest to Yahovah. Anyone doing work on it is to be put to death. Do not kindle fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. You'll have to excuse me tonight as I do this so I don't start coughing real bad. <coughs> so it's this <coughs> section here dealing with the Sabbath. The rest of the time here he's going to be talking about <coughs> The tabernacle and all of these details <clears throat> in building the altar, the, the uh, basin, the copper basin to, to wash after the, the sacrifices, you know, and then the menorah and the table for the showbread. 
uh, all, all of these other <clears throat> things going on uh, in, in the tabernacle itself, <clears throat> the post, the curtains, the, it's extremely elaborate. And then all of a sudden he's got this, oh yeah, on the Sabbath, you can work six days, but not on the seventh. Now here's what I want you to see. <clears throat> They are building a house for God to dwell with them and lead them through the wilderness. Is that important? You would, that's important, right? <clears throat> like, top priority? But watch this. It doesn't supersede time with the king. No matter what you're building in the kingdom, it never takes precedence over being with the king of the kingdom. And also being with him on his schedule, not yours. I mean, if any, if, how, how much more clear can it be right here where he's like, okay, this is, you know, we're closing down the book of Exodus. <clears throat> this is like getting ready for inauguration day where the, the witness, the covenant contract is placed in the ark. God comes down, boom, we're now a nation. We're ready to rock and roll. We didn't do the golden calf thing again. Okay, it's going to be great. By the way, no work on the tabernacle on the Sabbath. This is God saying, oh, I know you're building me a house because I planned all of this and I want to be with you, but you don't work on it on the Sabbath. That should get our attention, amen? <clears throat> Y'all not going to make me do it by myself again this week, are you? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so there's something else that I want you to know, I, I want to point out for you, because here it says, do not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. <clears throat> this is really uh, interesting, because this is, the, okay, <clears throat> God places huge importance on the Sabbath. There's so much in the scriptures about the Sabbath, it's, it's mind-boggling. <clears throat> Yet, there's not a lot of details. He says we're to guard it, which means protect it. We're to keep it. Uh, we're not to work. <clears throat> we're to focus on Him. We're to rest. We're to focus on Him and His Word and, and rest. It's about all it says, except for this little blurb here where it says... Um, and don't kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath. <clears throat> now, if you get into the rabbinical writings, this is where sometimes I'll read things and I just kind of have to go, okay, well, all right, well, well you know, whatever. <clears throat> um, they get into all of these details on the type of work that's, gonna, that's supposed to be done in the tabernacle. And then they correlate that to personal labor and then come up with their rulings on the types of personal labor that you can't do in your own home <clears throat> on the Sabbath. And that there are some that go so far as to say, meaning you can't have a fire, period. 
Meaning, I guess God wants you to starve and be cold and struggle. No. <clears throat> um, and then there are others that says, well, it says don't kindle a fire, which means don't build a fire, but that doesn't mean you can't have a fire. So they will light it before the Sabbath starts. Now then, <clears throat> anybody here ever see <clears throat> Fiddler on the Roof? If I were... Oh, really? Well, we need to have a fiddler on the roof party. Uh, you ever seen uh, a, an Orthodox Jewish home <clears throat> where they're lighting the Sabbath candles and the woman is doing this, you know, and then covering her eyes and all that? Well, according to rabbinical law, which is called halakha, uh, they're supposed to do that 18 minutes prior to sundown, so they're not lighting a fire after sundown, which is when the Sabbath starts. Well, it comes from this verse, <clears throat> and then they say this, that based on this verse, not this one alone, but this is one of the major ones, and it's right there in their, their commentary in some of the Bibles that I have, <clears throat> and it says that there is no way to totally understand the Torah without the teachings of the oral law which means only the rabbis really understand that, and then it's actually been written down in what we now have as the Talmud. Okay? And I'm reading that going, well, look, obviously God said things to Moses that's not in the Bible, but I really don't think there's this secret group that has this secret text that they only know the secret to it. You know, you know where I'm going with that? And I'm like, that's, <clears throat> no. Here's what it says. Don't kindle a fire because he said don't, he rest, Right? And focus on him. Folks, they didn't have atmos energy back then. There are people that will literally say, you can't flip on a switch during the Sabbath. So you need to cook all your food the day before. And on and on and on. Like, <clears throat> no. How did they make a fire back then? You know, and you, I mean, it took work. It took work to get it going. What God's saying, I believe, and I'm not a genius. I don't, I'm just learning this like you, okay? <clears throat> He's saying, look, be prepared. And when the Sabbath gets here, don't be kindling a fire. Don't be working be ready, be prepared for when the Sabbath gets here so it's not work. Does that make sense? We really think that during the wintertime and it snows out there and it gets, it'll get just as cold out there as it can here. Do you think? And they're living in a tent. Because it's the Sabbath, oh, you know, you need to, be, you need to freeze your toes off? No. He's just saying, look, be prepared don't kindle a fire. Don't start. Don't have to go out there and chop wood and get your kindling and work at it and you know get it going. Be prepared and have a fire going where you can and have your wood there ready to go so that you can eat and stay warm. Does that make sense? Just wanted to show you that from this one little section here. <clears throat> I want to go on because in uh, verse uh, four through nine here it says, and Moshe spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying. This is the word which Yahweh commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to Yahweh, everyone whose heart so moves him. Let him bring it as a contribution to 
Yahovah, gold and silver and bronze and blue and purple and scarlet material, <coughs> fine linen, goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and fine leather and acacia wood and oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense and show them stones and stones to be set in the shoulder garment and the breastplate. I stopped there because it just continues on. A few things that I want you to notice. <clears throat> they were in Egypt for approximately 400 years. They were not in bondage the whole time. So let's just say it's safe to say 200 years they're in bondage. The last 100 or 150 years, a few generations, a couple of generations, <clears throat> was real severe. Remember, they were, we went through that, and they were killing the babies and all that because they were afraid of war and outnumbering them and all those things when we first started this. <clears throat> um, so when they leave Egypt, Egypt kicks them out, and they take the spoils, if you will, of war with them. They, t they take the spoils of Egypt with them. And a lot of commentators have said that this was like getting back pay for all the work they had done, and Egypt basically taxed them into submission. That's how they became impoverished and under Egypt's thumb. Mankind hadn't changed one bit. <clears throat> so that's how all that was happening. So they leave, and whatever the family they asked, they literally willingly said, take my jewelry, take our gold, take our, take our gold spoons, take our chinaware, you know, take our, just please get out of here and take anything and everything that you want. And so they went out with everything they could carry. Before that time, they didn't have a lot. Right? Now it's been uh, about three months. They're wearing the jewelry. They're enjoying the gold things, the clothing uh, and now they're going to give it away. <clears throat> Interesting to think about, right? Because as they're leaving, you have to put yourself in their shoes. Try to. Put ourselves in their sandals. They had nothing. They were impoverished, beaten, abused, murdered, they're delivered by God with the spoils of Egypt. Mine, 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 mine. Right? Aren't we like that? You know? Don't you get all excited? You ever, you ever plan on getting a bonus? Or think you're going to get a bonus? And you immediately start thinking where you, how you're going to spend it or save it or what you're going to do with the bonus, right? <clears throat> and then, you know, and then you, get, you get the bonus and you go... Nuts, I forgot about the taxes, <laughs> right? They, they, they got pulled out of the bonus or whatever. But before we even get it, we're already thinking about what we're going to do with it, right? <clears throat> Can you just imagine these people? 
man, I'm going to have an awesome tent with this stuff, baby. <laughs> right? I'm going to be the end, man. I asked old so-and-so, man, they gave me a cart full of stuff, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the envy of my tribe, right? And all of a sudden, God goes, well, you know what? what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring what you got. And they do it. I think that's the part that's really cool. And as a matter of fact, <clears throat> he says in verse 5, this wasn't forced upon them. I think God moved it upon them, but he says, take from among you a contribution to God. And as I keep reading these, this is all these sermons fly through my head. I don't want to get too far off track. <clears throat> they says, take from among you a contribution to God. You see, when we give money, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and go there. When we give money here, it's God's. I try personally to have a totally hands-off approach to the money that comes into this fellowship. I don't want to know who gives or how much they give. I don't want it to impact the way I see people. I don't want to know. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want it to mess with my head. But you need to understand something. When we give money here, you're not giving it to the church. The money and stuff we give, we're giving it to God. Therefore, woe unto whatever person that mishandles God's stuff. <clears throat> uh, he's telling them, he says, look, you're not giving something to just build a tent. That God doesn't need a tent. Okay? He says... Listen, this is what you're doing. You're bringing a contribution to God himself, to Yahovah himself. That's where your money's going. That's where your jewelry's going. That's where your gold's going. That's where your service is going. And he says, everyone whose heart so moves him, let him bring it. Bring whatever God lays on your heart to bring. Bring whatever you think you need to bring. And bring it joyfully. We talked about that, you know, last time. <clears throat> Why? Because God loves a, a cheerful giver, right? <clears throat> so they're all involved in building something where God will dwell among them. Hello? That's who we are. And that's what we're supposed to still be doing because we're living stones being built up into this temple where God dwells. Amen? Amen? Let's look at, because I want to go back to this Sabbath issue in Matthew 12, verses 9 through 14. Here is where uh, Jesus, Yeshua, runs into an issue with those uh, rabbis around him trying to trap him over the issue of the Sabbath. And in verse 9 it says, And having left there, he went into their congregation, into their uh, synagogue. And see, there was a man having a withered hand there, and they asked him. You have to read your Bible slow. They, the Jewish people there in the synagogue, the rabbis and stuff that were there, they asked him, saying, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? 
Hmm. And they were doing that so as to accuse him. And he said to them, well, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, shall not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more worth is a man than a sheep? So it is right to do good on the Sabbath. <clears throat> there are other rules. We'll get into them later as we keep looking at this because God does have some statements about, look, even if it's a Sabbath and your neighbor's donkey's in the ditch, you get it out. Um, to save a life, you do what's necessary to save a life, even if it's on the Sabbath. Uh, <clears throat> God's not into death, okay? He's into life. Um, and so Jesus is pointing this out, and he's telling them that. He's using the same illustration that's in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and he goes, and so how much more worth is a man than sheep? So yeah, it's, it's all right to do good on the Sabbath. You can almost see it, and I think it is in one of the other gospel accounts where it says Jesus looks around. Yeah, I, I bet he almost had a scowl on his face when he's just looking around at him. And then he looks over at the man, and he goes, stick your hand out. That's in Texan. <clears throat> uh, in verse 13, he says to him, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as healthy as the other. But the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him so as to destroy him. It made him so mad that he healed a man just by telling him to stretch out his hand. And his hand was healed instantly. Just like God moved again in Robert's life and healed his foot. Amen? And he goes, yeah, it's okay to do that on the Sabbath. Hey, stick your hand out. And because he healed him, the Pharisees got so mad, they went out and took counsel on how to kill him. <clears throat> you see, it's all right to do good on the Sabbath. My point in this, and then we're going to go on and look uh, again at something here about this tabernacle and them building it and it being tied into the, the New Testament, <clears throat> is... Don't get so caught up in the rules and do's and don'ts. Relax. Take a deep breath. What we're supposed to be doing is worshiping our God and our King, remembering that the Sabbath day is today. It's not tomorrow. There, it doesn't exist. It's Saturday. And that's the day when He said, set this day aside and honor me through doing that. Uh, and we've gotten everything so messed up. So, <clears throat> but relax, because you're going to hear all kinds of stuff about what you can and can't do. And people are going to get all twisted and call you out, whatever. Just go, oh, okay. <laughs> Seriously, just, uh, okay. Look, he wants you to focus on him. He wants you to rest. He wants you to be around his people. Uh, and sometimes things come up, and if you get sick and stuff, you got to go down to Walmart and get some medicine because you're sick or your kids are sick. Go to Walmart and get your medicine. We clear? Okay. <clears throat> Look at this next section here in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 17. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul here is talking about building the kingdom. Just like in this passage in in. Uh, Exodus, 
where God calls out Moses. Then it says, and he calls out by name Bezel El and Oholiab. We talked about that last week. Bezel El is under the shadow of God, and Oholiab is the Father's tent. And he called them out by name to oversee the building of his tent. Only God can put that together. I think Paul is pulling on what he understood because he was trained in this. He knew it inside and out. So in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, he says, According to the favor of Elohim, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation, and another builds on it, but each one should look how he builds on it. For no one is able to lay another foundation except that which is laid, which is Yeshua the Messiah. And if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work shall be revealed. For the day shall show it up, because it is revealed by fire. And the fire shall prove the work of each one, what sort it is. Hmm. If anyone's work remains, he has, which he has built on, he shall receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. But so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a dwelling place of Elohim and that the Spirit of Elohim dwells within you? If anyone destroys the, the dwelling place of Elohim, Elohim shall destroy him. For the dwelling place of Elohim, look at this, is set apart. That's sanctuary, or if you will, tabernacle, or temple. Holy place, set apart, separate. <clears throat> And he goes, which you are. You see the connection there where he's connecting this back to the building of the tabernacle? <clears throat> so throughout this section, he goes into great detail on all the gold and the blues and the, the curtains and all of these things. And without getting caught up in that, because it's, uh, what, five chapters I want you to see something. So I pulled one small section of this out because I want you to see something that's absolutely incredible. In chapter 38, verse 8, <clears throat> this is the <clears throat> bronze basin. You have the tabernacle. You come into the eastern uh, gate. The first thing inside there is the altar for the burnt offering. The next thing in between the altar and the burnt offering, uh, in between the altar, I'm sorry, and the holy place, which is the smaller tent within the tent, okay, <clears throat> is this bronze laver, if you will. This, think of this big, huge bronze bowl that held water that after they had performed the sacrifices and they had done the stuff with the blood and the other things that they were supposed to do before they would go into... <clears throat> the holy place, they would wash in the bronze laver. You following me? Watch what it says here about that. And I want you to see the symbolism of, of God and what he's doing. So he says, and he made the bronze, the, the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the bronze mirrors 
of the serving women who did service at the door of the tent of meeting. Anybody here look in the mirror before you came here today? <laughs> right? <clears throat> uh, anybody walk, you know, by the stores or whatever and just kind of happen to glance in the glass there just to make sure, you know, your shirt's tucked in or, you know, your hair's not doing this or... I mean, we do that, right? <clears throat> Here are some women that are serving God. I don't think there's anything evil, but I do think that there's something very picturesque in what he's painting here. They could have made this out of anything. But he said the bronze laver inside there that they're going to wash their hands and themselves after the bloody sacrifices are going to come, the material is going to come from your mirrors that you use to look at yourself. <clears throat> it says these women were doing service at the door of the tent of meeting. The belief is that prior to getting the tabernacle built, we'll look at this, hopefully we'll have time in a second. <clears throat> it took them about a year before they got, I mean, nine months it's, one, it's a one-year anniversary from the time they left Egypt to the time they finally get the tabernacle built and erected. It takes a year. <clears throat> These, in the meantime, between when the tabernacle itself is built, it seems, there's not a lot of detail, but it talks about Moses put up a tent of meeting outside the camp where he would go and talk to God. And then he would come out and explain what was going on. That it seems like maybe this was a temporary, if you will, tent of meeting for Moses. There's nothing else in there. It just, it's just him and Moses and God, basically. Because nothing else has been constructed yet. You following me? <clears throat> and so most commentators, especially the Jewish commentators and rabbis and stuff would say that this is what it's talking about here and that evidently there were some women that were in charge of also making sure that at least the place was taken care of properly. It took at least nine months for them to build this after they've gotten all this instruction. You ever tried to keep a tent up for nine months? can take some maintenance or whatever, and this is a place where Moses is going to meet with God. So I don't think there's anything evil. I don't want you to read something into this, what I'm getting at. But these women, this was their mirrors. Do you see the picture there? <clears throat> God says, I want you to take, doesn't matter who you are. We can all still be prideful, even in the way we look. Right? I mean, <laughs> we can be prideful. <clears throat> These are godly women, I'm assuming. They're helping Moses. And he goes, I don't care who you are. You still got your own mirrors. So I want them. And I'm going to use them for something very specific. 
So when the sin offerings and stuff are brought in here to keep you purified so that you don't profane this place, the washing of the junk is going to come from the thing you used to use to look at yourself. That's powerful. You see, God is into symbolism. And he wants us to remember what? It's all about him. It's like the thing with the, the Sabbath. We don't work on the tabernacle on the Sabbath. The most important thing is time, not your work. It's time with the king. It's not what stuff we have or what we accumulate or what we've accomplished if we haven't spent time with the king. <clears throat> um. Let's move on because I've got this other passage that I've just got to get to because there's so much here. So in in Exodus 39, verses 32 and 33, it says, And all the work of the dwelling place of the tent of meeting was completed, and the children of Israel did did, did according to all that Yahweh commanded Moshe, and so they did. And they brought the dwelling place. I thought it was pretty cool using this version so that you can see this. They brought the dwelling place, meaning the tabernacle, the tent. They brought the, twel- the dwelling place to Moses, to Moshe, the tent and all of its furnishings and its hooks and boards and bars and columns and sockets. And it goes on and on and on, talking about all this stuff that they brought to Moses. <clears throat> um, they did the work and they got it done. They brought it to Moses And what they brought was God's dwelling place. It wasn't just a tent. Folks, we don't do church. You're not here to be entertained by me teaching or somebody singing. We're here to encourage each other to walk closer to our King to build the kingdom of God, which is where God dwells. Church isn't supposed to be a business or a place to be entertained. It's a place to teach people what the scriptures actually say so we can walk closer to our king and bring honor to his name. Let me go on. Uh, There's a lot more very important things here to see. In chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, it says, And Yahovah spoke to Moshe, saying, On the first day of the first month, you are to raise up the dwelling place of the tent of meeting. I want you to see that because it says on the first day of the first month. The first day of the first month is the start of Nisan, which is the one-year anniversary. I want you to see that because it shows you that it it took them a year to get it completely done. <clears throat> it's been a year anniversary. They've been out of Egypt now and in the wilderness, and they've been working now for about nine months to get this thing to happen so they can then go with God. How long does it take for a body, for a baby to be formed? It's not by accident, folks. It's not by accident. <clears throat> in verses thirty. Through 38, it says, and he put the basin between the tent of meeting. That's the basin that we talked about, that copper basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water therein for washing. 
And Moshe and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet with water from it. As they went into the tent of meeting, and as they came near the altar, they would wash as Yahweh commanded Moshe. And they raised up the courtyard all around the dwelling place and the altar and the place and placed the covering of the courtyard gate. And Moshe completed the work. And the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the esteem. We would see that in the English maybe as the glory of God or the presence of God. But it's the esteem of Yahovah filled the dwelling place. And Moshe was not able to come into the tent of meeting because the cloud that dwelt on in the esteem of Yahovah filled the dwelling place. It was so thick that Moses couldn't even get in there. <clears throat> and when the cloud was taken up from above the dwelling place, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of Yahovah was on the dwelling place by day and fire was on it by night before the eyes of all the house of Israel in all of their journeys. Here's what I want you to see in here, <clears throat> in this, as that's the close there of Exodus. If God didn't move, they didn't move. If God stayed, they stayed. We have a tendency to live our lives moving, asking God to show up, which is backwards. What we should be doing is looking for where God is moving and join Him in what He's doing instead of asking God to join us in what we're doing. Every time we're asking God to join us in what we're doing, we've probably already messed it up and we're asking Him to fix it. Instead of, Lord, what would you have me do? Where you go, I will go. If you, if you go, then I'll go. But if your spirit doesn't go with us, then we're not going. We're going to stay right here until you tell us to go. That's how we should be living our lives. That's what he was teaching them. <clears throat> and literally, they had a cloud by day. And by night, they say that there was fire in that cloud that was over the tabernacle. Absolutely incredible. Amen? <clears throat> so in our reading, and I do believe it's tied together because what I want you to see in this is that there's nothing more important than being with God and being with God on His schedule and only going where He goes and only doing what He says and not asking God to bless what we do. Are you seeing that in here? He's got all these details, but he goes, look, even the tabernacle doesn't supersede you being with me on my schedule. I think that's huge. Now I want you to see something because this is a passage that <clears throat> in the reading is called the Haftorah, the extra readings that are done this week every year. And it's this passage in Ezekiel. I'm going to tell you that this is a passage I ran across years ago. Many years ago, and I went, this is huge. This is extremely important. But I, I never was able to make the connection on how important until I finally learned the importance of the Torah, that it still applies to our lives, that he didn't do away with it. Like what we've been studying. And then all of a the sudden, these 
dots started to connect, and this was one of the major ones. I remember you guys being the snows. Y'all were over at our house one Sabbath, I think, year or two or whatever ago, and y'all were going out the door, and I said, you know, there's this passage, which we've already been over, about the angel of God going with the people of Israel, and it says, my name is in him. And I told you guys on my front porch, there's something about that, and I've got to figure this out, and I'm going to get to that one day. And he's revealed it to me. And this is one of those passages that was leading me to tell you guys that however many months ago. And here it is in this passage, and the reason they have it, because it's connected to the importance of being with God. Okay, so I want you to see this and I want you to understand that this is a passage that Ezekiel is sharing and it's dealing with end time events. Okay, let me read this because it's verses 16 through 38. It says, and the word of Yahweh came to me saying, son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their land. Now, I need to make sure because some of you might not realize this, but when it says house of Israel, that's the 10 northern tribes. When it says house of Judah, that's the two southern tribes. Whenever it's using those phrases in the Old Testament, it's almost always house of Israel, house of Judah, house of Israel is the northern tribes that were scattered when Assyria conquered them in 722 B.C., I think is what it was. So he says, so son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. They were doing their own thing. Okay. To me, their way was always like the uncleanness of a woman in her monthly period. So I poured out my wrath on them for the blood that they had shed on the land and for their idols, they defiled it. And I scattered them among the Gentiles, and they were dispersed throughout the lands. I have judged them according to their ways and their deeds. And when they came to the Gentiles, wherever they went, they profaned my set-apart name, my holy name, in other words. For it was said of them, these are the people of Yahovah, and yet they have gone out of his land. Watch this. This is it. But I had compassion on my set-apart name. Can I get a, uh uh-oh, somebody? Wow. He says, but I had compassion on, and another version might say, but I remembered my name. He said, which the house of Israel had profaned among the Gentiles wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the master, Yahovah, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my set-apart name's sake, which you have profaned among the Gentiles wherever you went. And I shall set apart my great name, which has been profaned among the Gentiles, which you have profaned in their midst. And the Gentiles shall know that I am Yahovah, declares the Master, Yahovah, when I am set apart in you before their eyes. Are you seeing that? He's telling them, I'm going to bring you back. 
You have to get into all of these passages together. He's saying, I'm going to bring you back, but you need to understand something. I'm not bringing you back for you. I'm bringing you back for me and because of my name. I'm going to sanctify my name. You've been profaning my name forever. And I'm going to make sure that my name is profaned no longer. And I'm going to do something so huge that everybody's going to know that I am Yahovah, the God who was and is and always will be, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the universe, the one that sent Yeshua to die on the cross to bring you back to me. I am the one and only true God. And I'm going to do something so massive, but you need to understand something. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. That is huge. Are you seeing that? In verse 24, he says, And I shall take you from among the Gentiles, and I shall gather you out of all the lands, and I shall bring you into your own land. Read the news today, what's happening already. And I shall sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I cleanse you. And I shall give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I shall take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And I shall give you a heart of flesh. Anybody here ever hear that before? Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's the church, right? Here's what he's saying this. We've been grafted into Israel. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a a new spirit within you. I shall take the heart of stone out of your flesh. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. and And put my spirit within you. And I shall cause you to walk in my laws and guard my right rulings and shall do them. Huh. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I shall be your Elohim. And I shall save you from all your uncleanness. And I shall call for the grain and increase it. And there shall be no scarcity of food among you, upon you. Verse 30. And I shall increase the fruit of your trees and increase of your fields. So that you need never again bear the reproach of scarcity of food among the Gentiles. And you shall remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you shall loathe yourselves in your own eyes for your crookedness and your abominations. Look, here it is again. Not for your sake am I acting, declares the Master Yahovah. Let it be known to you, be ashamed and blush for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Master Yahovah, On the day that I cleanse you from all your crookedness, I shall cause the cities to be inhabited, and the ruined places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was laid waste tilled instead of being a ruin before the eyes of all who pass by. And they shall say, This land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, the deserted, and the destroyed cities are now walled and inhabited Then the Gentiles which are left all around you shall know that I, Yahovah, have rebuilt the destroyed places and planting what was laid waste. I, Yahovah, have spoken it and I shall do it. Thus says the Master Yahovah, once again, I shall let the house of Israel inquire of me and do for them. I shall increase their men like a flock. As a set-apart flock, there it is again, set-apart, sanctuary, holy, if you will, 
flock of people, as a flock of Jerusalem, which is Jerusalem, at her appointed time, so that the wasted cities be filled with the flocks of men, and they shall know that I am Yahovah. Wow. Right now, our president has made the move to have the embassy in Jerusalem open before May 14th, the 70th anniversary of the nation of Israel. They are comparing him to Cyrus. The people in Israel are minting coins to be used in the third temple. This isn't the government now doing this, but they are minting coins that will be used in the next temple with the image of Cyrus overlaid with the image of Donald Trump. They're already making them. The countries of the world are surrounding Israel and war is so close to breaking out over there. It's unbelievable. Why? Because Satan hates Israel. Why does Satan hate Israel? Israel because God said I've said it I'm going to do it and when I do it I'm going to prove that I'm God and when I prove that I'm God I have all right and all authority to again say to you Lucifer all the watchers everybody else that has fallen I judge you to eternal damnation period no discussion If Satan can destroy Israel, he can keep God from doing what he said he was going to do. That's why anti-Semitism is demonic. God said, I am set apart. And the people that are called by my name are to be set apart but you don't set yourself apart according to your own ways. My people did that, and I judged them, and I scattered them into the Gentile world everywhere. A lot of them don't even know they're Jewish. They forgot who they are. But he says, I'm going to call you out from among those Gentiles at the end of time, There's this next exodus coming that will dwarf the first one so bad that for the rest of eternity, the exodus with Moses won't even come to your mind. That's what's prophesied in Jeremiah. God is saying right here, I'm set apart. My people are set apart. My people are to build a place for me to dwell. It's supposed to be holy according to my rules. And guess what? I'm going to make it holy. And I know you stumble because we stumble, right? We can be prideful. We got our mirrors. He goes, well, I'm going to take your mirrors. I'm going to make something out of it. And I'm going to cleanse you. Sometimes because, well, we're stubborn, 
I know I'm the only stubborn one in here. But the only way I can get past my junk, my stuff, my rebellion, my attitude, my things, is I got to get past my things. And sometimes the only way for that to happen is God's going to say, I, you don't need that. You know what you need? You need me. You just need to spend time with me, and you need to get off of your schedule. You need to get on my schedule. And as a matter of fact, why don't you just stop thinking so much about you and start thinking about me? And I honestly believe that's what he's doing here. To prepare us for what is about to happen. Maybe within our lifetime. It's possible that you and I will live to see the day. When that temple starts to be built. <clears throat> And you need to be excited and scared at the same time. And you need to be prepared biblically and not traditionally with what goes on in most churches. <clears throat> and we need to be on God's schedule and we need to know what God said in His Word, what He actually said. Isn't that amazing? Because I know everybody that's here that's been in the church, you've heard this where he says, I'm going to take your heart of stone out of you and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And we go, oh, hallelujah, that's what he did for us at the church. He said, I'm going to take Israel, the northern tribes, I'm going to scatter them. Then at the end of time, I'm going to bring them back to the land. Do you see what's happening in the land? Anybody pay attention? When I say the land, I'm talking about Israel. It was a wasteland. All those settlements that everybody's mad about was a rock-infested, dirt, nothing. They went out there and planted trees that shouldn't have grown that are growing. They took salt water out of the ocean, desalinized it. Now they're teaching California how to do that to solve their drought problem. Israel has a, a surplus now of water. But it hasn't happened completely yet because nobody's really cognizant of all of that. So there's this greater exodus coming. And we want to be ready, amen? And the only way to be ready we got to stop working. we got to start spending more time with God and let Him help us build the tabernacle, right? He'll give you the Spirit to do what you need to do. Don't get too caught up in it. Relax. It's more important to spend time with your King because He's going to lead us. Amen? <clears throat> he sent His Son to die on the cross for us. So we could get out of all this junk, get remarried, and grafted into his people to be a part of the most profound prophecies ever mentioned anywhere that most people are ignorant about. Because all they hear is Jesus, 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 which is true. 
But most of the prophecies in your Bible aren't about Jesus. Two-thirds of your Bible prophecies are all about Israel and what God would do with Israel and how He would judge them and how He would scatter them and how He would bring them back at the very end. And then we studied Revelation and we're going to be in the new Jerusalem and the new temple and all that. And guess what? There's 12 stones with 12 names on them. It's not the church. Guess what? There's 12 gates to get into the Jeru- get in Jerusalem. And there's 12 names on those gates. It's the 12 tribes. There's not one called the church. That's because the Apostle Paul said clearly, we didn't replace them. We got grafted into them. And we now are benefited where we can partake of those covenants and promises. Hallelujah. But we didn't take it away from them. Because that's going right into Satan's plan. If that's the case, then God's not God. Plain and simple, but that's not what most are hearing. God is holy. Wants us to build a place for Him to dwell. And it starts right there in your heart. Right there in your heart, your heart, your heart, yours. It starts in our hearts. But watch this. He never decided for that to be individualistic. It's always corporately. Always. He has always called a people. Never just one individual. He hasn't called you to fly solo. You never see it in the Scriptures. You never see it with Israel. You never see it in the New Testament. It's always we're supposed to be in this together. Holiness is never seen in isolation. It's always together. He wants a holy people more than a holy person. He's after a people. That's what we are. That's why it's so important to be together, to be together on Shabbat and celebrate God and thank Him for answered prayers, thank Him for moving in our lives, thank Him for our salvation, thank Him for His Word, thank you for His truth, thank you for Him guiding us and leading us so that no matter what happens, we don't have to be scared or surprised. Isn't that cool? We don't have to be caught off guard. We can go, everybody else is going crazy. You ever seen that? And you go, well, you're arguing over white noise. You don't even know what you're arguing about. I think anybody want to go play cards? You know, why get so wound up? We know how it's going to end, amen? Anyways, God loves you so much. So much. He's going to do miracles even beyond any we've already seen or witnessed that will boggle your mind. All we need to do is spend time with Him on His calendar, do the things that He said, get involved in His system. Stop asking Him to be a part of our system. Let's get involved in His system, in His flow, leading, listening to His leading and following His leading and doing what He says and then watch Him do absolutely unbelievable things in and around us. Amen?